will have sorrow like you've never known while the world's dancing, but your sorrow is going to be turned to joy. But if you want to hear about that, you'll have to come back next week because we're not there yet. We're in verse 12. (laughs) We're in verse 12 through 15 today. A short section. There's a lot in it, but I'll be as brief as I can. And Father, we pray that as we read John in the gospel, we wouldn't just read words on a page. We wouldn't just hear words from a human's mouth. But somehow we would have that same moment in whatever way you want it for us that Barb had where you enlightened her spoke to her, ministered to her very deepest part of her spirit that, that day she went to Bible study. We expect, many of us expect to hear from you. Expect that that's what happens when we open your word and open our hearts. But Lord, for those who are not expecting you today, who think there's too much distance or you failed them or they failed you, we pray that your truth and your love would shine through and you'd surprise them today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus is going to be arrested now in a very few hours. In a very short time, he's, he's spending the last moments of his life up in the upper room and then walking to the Garden of Gethsemane and then in the Garden of Gethsemane. And from John 13 on to through 17, this is Jesus and his disciples in a very intimate, close, last few moments time before the unthinkable happens. But that unthinkable is really what is necessary to save us. And Jesus knows this. In verse 12, we pick it up. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine And declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said he will take of mine and declare it to you. I've got many more things to say to you, Jesus says. Much more to say. And I think, how much more? And the answer to that is given to us in the very last verse of this book. Where the Apostle John at the end in chapter 21 says, and I suppose if all the things that Jesus said and all the things that Jesus did were written down, all the books that exist in the world could not contain the things that Jesus said and did. So apparently Jesus had a lot to say and did a lot more than what we get in the scripture. The reason it's important to focus in the scripture is because God knew what he was doing when he gave us what he gave us to listen to. And, you know, they couldn't hear it all right then. And what is that all about? Well, that's a beautiful thing. He could, they couldn't bear it right then. They were having trouble with what he was saying already. And he had more to say, but they couldn't bear it then. They will bear it later when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within them. They will have seen Jesus risen from the grave. They will have experienced that. He will have breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who was with them would then dwell in them. And that power, that one with Jesus, same nature as Jesus and the Father, would be assuring them of Jesus' love. That he hasn't left them or forsake them, but he's come to them in this form in the Holy Spirit. Now, most people think that the Holy Spirit, that invokes in people's minds just supernatural activity, be it healings, miracles, weird things, whatever, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, certainly the Holy Spirit 
works things, does amazing things in life. But you know, the greatest work of the Holy Spirit's given to us, explained here in part, foremost above all, he's the teller of truth, for he is the truth. He's God, the Spirit. And we can hear the truth because he's in us now. So the truth about Jesus' death, Barb's statement, all have sinned, I can hear that truth because it's not the whole truth. And the whole truth is I've sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and I have no hope outside of Jesus, but Jesus paid for my sin. I have that hope and that assurance, and the Spirit will give you that. And so there's the death of my son, there's your own failure, there's suffering for him when you honor him, that you actually suffer. That, that's a tough thing to hear. But they could hear it when the Holy Spirit dwelt in them. They could hear all the things that are going to happen and the hope that they have because it's not just one-sided. They could hear the hard things because they also are hearing it from a merciful, gracious, loving God who lives inside of you. Psalm 85 says, Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Yeah, the Lord will give which is good, and the land will give its increase. It means God's going to bring forth fruit from his word, from his truth. His truth is not just truth, but it's truth in love. See, some people love to tell you the truth, but they don't really care about you. Your shirt's ugly. Your breath stinks. You're an idiot. They feel really great about being able to be strong and tell you, you're wrong. Some people never want to confront anything wrong. Oh, that's fine. It's wonderful. That's good. That's nice. You look wonderful. Everything's wonderful. But speaking the truth in love is God. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.15 that men will deceive and trick us, and that's what we used to be a part of. But in the body of Christ, it ought not to be so. But speaking the truth in love, that we may all grow up in Jesus Christ, grow strong in our faith and our love, not avoiding the truth, but not harshly condemning people and judging people unnecessarily. It's tricky for humans. It is the nature of God. And so when I receive his nature, I receive the willingness to confront lovingly. I receive the ability to be loving when I confront. I receive the ability to not confront over just my pet peeves, but do the right thing for the sake of others. It can happen. You see, the Holy Spirit will come, he says. He won't speak on his own authority. He won't say, look at me, look at me, look at me. When you focus, when people focus specifically on, in a major way, the Holy Spirit, it's a little scary. Oh, he does many great things, and it's a he, not an it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit's a person, the third person of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He deserves attention from us. He deserves awareness by us. Jesus is talking about him. But he's also letting us know this wonderful thing that happens. The Father sent Jesus, Right? Jesus said, I'm here in behalf of and under the authority of the Father. I'm here to honor the Father. We're one. And when I leave, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And he also says, whom the Father will send in my name. Well, which one is it? Yes, <laughs> it's all. We're one, and we're sending the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's coming, not in his own authority, but he's in the same unity 
with me and the Father. So the Father sends me, and then I go back to the Father, and then we send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit points back to me, who I'm pointing to the Father, and it's the unbroken circle of love. And you can't break it up. You can't isolate little pieces of it under a Petri dish and try to figure it out. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit points to Jesus. Jesus made that clear. And, and, and he will be glorified in Jesus. And Jesus is going to have him glorify Jesus in us and through us, he says. See, when we see Jesus and what we see in Jesus, you would expect to see in a spirit-filled believer, you would expect to see the things you see in Jesus. Now, before you feel like you just got body slammed, because like, well, that's nice, but I'm not quite 100% there. We have a club. It's called the 99% Club. We're almost there. How does, does that look like Jesus? No, it doesn't, does it? Uh, he was humble, but he was perfect. We're not. And we're not necessarily there, but listen, what you would see in Jesus, you would expect to see in a spirit-filled believer. Whatever they call themselves, you would expect to see Jesus. You know, well, but we're not him, are we? We're not him, and we're not perfect, but we are, we are his bride. We are his body. That's pretty significant. You know, what if you, and um, I don't want to get a science fiction thing here, but you couldn't travel and move around. You had to lay someplace and said, you go for me, and you be a representation of me. You be my body, and go take this gift and share my heart. And you would really hate it if people you sent misrepresented you. Rick was really going to give this to somebody else, but they weren't home. So he said, eh, give it to you. <laughs> or you don't really deserve this, and you better take care of it, or Rick's going to be really ticked at you. Here. That would really bum me out if I said, I just want that person to know how much I love them, and I want you to give it to them. If I was going to go to somebody and I wanted to share with them, listen, I love you so much, but I, what you're doing, and I have a connection to this, what you're doing is wrong, and it's harmful to you and to others. And they went to that person and said, you know, you know, Rick, he's kind of opinionated, but I think what he really meant was do whatever you want to do as long as you're happy. You know, do you want to be misrepresented? How, how do you feel when somebody misrepresents you? It's just, you don't feel good. So God help us. Our goal is to represent him properly, speaking the truth in love. And so I'm not Jesus, but I am part of his body. And you know, you see, the Holy Spirit comes to the believer, and we can be not only loved, and strengthened and saved, we can be gifted and be given gifts of the Holy Spirit to use. So you see, Jesus touched people all the time and healed constantly, didn't he? Seemingly without, other than uh, a few unique situations to show us something, he could just heal anybody he wanted to. I can't. I have faith. I believe in healing. But I don't believe anybody goes all the time, and no matter who they touch, when, even if they tell you they do this, I've never seen it in reality, that at will a person could lay hands and see God heal them because they prayed. We can't just will it like Jesus, but at times 
we can be used to see the gift of healing touch a life. I've been healed supernaturally. I've laid hands on people and seen them healed. Some of you have too. But you don't always know when that's going to happen. You don't control that. You, it's, I know it's difficult. You'd like it to be either black or white, absolutely this way, and you're not going to find that in Scripture. You know what you can do? You can pray. And you can lay hands on people and pray for them and believe that God does heal. Can I get an amen? amen. So does it mean you go, oh, ooh, my hand now has power. I am the healer. It means that the healer has used you to pray. And I'll tell you a way he won't use you if you refuse to pray for people. If you won't lay hands on somebody, if you won't reach out to anybody, well, you're pretty much sure that he won't use you because you're not willing. So if you want to see him work, be willing, be in prayer, and believe that he does do that work. I'm not him. I don't heal like that, but I can be used by God. Jesus knew things supernaturally. He had knowledge about people. What if I went up to a guy who was rich and just said to him, do you believe, do you really love Jesus? Oh, yeah, I do. And a guy who loves, and I say, well, if you love Jesus, go sell everything you have, give it all to the poor, and then come and follow me and Jesus. <laughs> See, Jesus said to a guy, go, one thing you lack, go sell everything. He knew exactly what was going on. He had the knowledge if you will, the word of knowledge, as is called a gift of the Spirit, he operated in it continuously, it seems, that he just knew what the guy needed. He knew the truth about the guy. I don't. But I can walk in the power of the gift of the word of knowledge. There are times where it comes supernaturally naturally, such as, and this is not the only place, when somebody's teaching the Bible and they're just sharing and teaching and instructing and giving words, they don't know where it's going on your heart. And yet for some person out there, it's like, that guy knew exactly what I'm going through today. No, he didn't. The Holy Spirit knew and gave him a word. He didn't even know it was a word of knowledge. It can happen that way. Or you could be on the street or at work with somebody and say, you know, are you blah, 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 blah? And they go, how did you know that? I guess the Lord just showed me that. Because he loves you and wants you to know he's here. I've had that happen. Some of you have too. It's a word of knowledge. Should you be careful? Should you not assume that you know everything about everybody and you're suddenly gifted? <laughs> yeah, you ought to. You could even be doing it right and get punched in the face. <laughs> but you don't want to do it wrong and get punched in the face, right? So, you know... The word of knowledge. I'm not Jesus. I don't have his constant knowledge, but I can have the gift of the word of knowledge. These are in Corinthians chapter 12. And Jesus embodied wisdom, heavenly wisdom. It was him all the time. It ain't me, but I can receive a word of wisdom, and we should all be growing in wisdom. There's, another, there's the growth as a Christian and maturity and understanding of Scripture and the knowledge of the holy and understanding what God's doing in, in, in a certain way, but part of that is also the gift of the word of wisdom, where you actually understand what should happen in a situation and what the answer to it is. When you read about the guys in the book of Acts, and James says, I therefore give my judgment that we say this to these people. Do you know he wasn't the only guy in charge in Acts 15? But it's like they were all talking about what to do with the Gentiles. He says, you know what, blah. He was a leader. He was a strong leader. He may have been the moderator. But he wasn't saying, 
I always have the wisdom. I'm going to tell you what to do. He was saying, this is what I got. Here's where we should go. And they all went, and they were disagreeing about everything. (laughs) And they went, that's what we should do. That's the right answer. When we sit in a group of meeting with people or with leaders, we don't go, well, who's the strongest personality? Who's going to be the most upset if they don't get their way? No, we look for God's wisdom to be revealed or in a group of anywhere and say, that's it. That's why we want you to pray about the things on the back page. And if you have something to say about it because you're prayerful about it and you want to encourage in a direction or warn in a direction, we're willing to hear from you. It's not just the leadership. This is a body of believers. And God gives you gifts and gives you a witness. We have to ratify it. We have to make a decision. But you're a part of that if you're here. Not because you signed up on a membership list, but because you pray and participate. And the more you pray and participate, the more your voice will be heard because I believe that God supernaturally lets that be known, even if we don't necessarily see you doing it. We'll see the fruit of it. So um, um, Jesus seemed like he discerned the spirit of a situation, a circumstance, or a person all the time. He knew when there was something wrong. And he would state it. Well, you know what's great? I don't naturally know when something's wrong. People can pull the wool over my eyes. I could just be kind of dull of hearing or understanding. Or I could just miss something because there's so many things and layers to life. But you know, there are times where you get the gift of discernment of spirits. And that is where you just know the words are right coming out of somebody's mouth. The, uh, um, it sounds right. It's said right. But there's something wrong. And you just have to take a step back and pray and, and, and get a little space to seek the Lord. Some Christians call it a check in your heart about a situation. I'm not supposed to go there and help that person or do that thing or receive that as being a good participation. Just because somebody, They sound good and all that, but there's something wrong. Now, you have to be careful. You're not out here to witch hunt and judge everybody. But there's something wrong, and you know that there is, and, and a Christian needs to be alert. Now, are we all supposed to be discerning of spiritual truth? Are you supposed to grow in your understanding of Scripture? Yes, but there are times where the Scripture doesn't teach you that somebody's there's something behind this. The Holy Spirit teaches you that and gives you a check in your heart. And it could be about you going in a direction, too. Is it warm in here? Can we have the air conditioning on? No. <laughs> Can we get Kim a jacket and have the air conditioning on? Yeah. Kim, are you eventually moving to Florida? We don't want to lose you, but that would be the place. Um, then, then it says here, and we'll finish on this. It's going to take me a few minutes, but, but, I, but not that long, so stay really with me, and we're not long. He will show you things to come. Well, we're not Jesus, we're not Old Testament prophets, but the gift of prophecy is a part of the New Testament as well. And people can prophesy in the New Testament like Agabus was a prophet who said there's going to be a dearth, a famine in the land, and there was. He also said Paul's hands and feet are going to be bound when he goes to Jerusalem, and he was right. And you can receive words like that, knowledge of what's going to happen through prophetic word, but for prophecy in the New Testament now that it's not that it's over because the New Testament is complete, but we don't stand in the role of an Old Testament prophet. New Testament prophecy, it says that one can speak out and two or three others ought to judge and discern whether that prophecy is actually right. You didn't do that with old, God didn't ask that of Old Testament prophets. He said, you go, you speak, and they're, by the way, they're not going to listen to you. They'll probably kill you, but you go do it anyway. 
a New Testament prophet is a gift of prophecy that can be spread anywhere to anyone, and that can also come out in Scripture and teaching and in instruction between people because what you're doing is you're applying a verse that has application in its context but also has application directly to the moment, like the word of wisdom, but it's specifically a word of edification, exhortation, or comfort that really speaks to the moment in a very specific way. And you, if you hear teaching, and two things are happening. One is hopefully the teacher is listening to the Holy Spirit in his teaching. But sometimes even if he's not, you are. You know, because you're just as responsible in your listening as the person speaking is. You're accountable. I'm accountable when I'm listening to Bible's teaching. And, and I'm accountable, but sometimes God wants to speak to me through a verse, and it has great application through the exposition of the verse, through what the person shares about it, comes in from an angle, and it's exactly what was needed for me right then. It's prophetic. And that's far more often the case than, thus saith the Lord. I don't know that that's such a safe thing to do in the New Testament times, but either way, you can receive, hey, don't go there because something bad's going to happen there. That could be a word. There's a these kind of word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophecy kind of flow in and out of each other, and uh, sometimes you can't always separate and try to figure out now what gift was that. Just go with it, you know. (laughs) Just listen for it. Just be aware of it. All right, but here's what he's saying in its most basic, clear picture right now. He will show you things to come. What are the things to come? The Holy Spirit's going to come and show you. You know, it wasn't until the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit came and flooded them and filled them with the Holy Spirit. When Peter was able to stand up and preach, when thousands began to get saved because the gospel now was in place, he will show you things to come. The gospel. Well, Rick, that's a little basic. Isn't it go deeper? Yeah. The gospel's going to go not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And Ephesians 2 and 3 tell us about the mystery. What was once hidden is now made known through God's apostles, the first century apostles. That, hey, Jew and Gentile are all welcome to the kingdom of God. You don't, you're not under the law. You're under grace. It's what Jesus did on the cross. And these, these things to come, they didn't know. Remember, I mentioned Acts 15. That's Acts 15. 15 chapters into Acts. Many years gone by, the Jerusalem church is wrestling with what to do with Gentile believers in Jesus. The Holy Spirit was revealing the freedom and the grace of God to all mankind. See, when people say Christianity is restrictive and only focused on you know, wasps <laughs> or Catholics and wasps in America. You know, the Bible tells a whole different story. It blew people's mind that everyone was welcomed and that rich man and slave were one in Christ. You know, man has messed things up, but God didn't. God unfolds those things and tells us the truth. And many other things also about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Things to come. John the Apostle is the one, is the only one who's writing these words down, right? These specific words here in the Gospel of John are unique to John. In the sense that he's the only one that that wrote down this information. What was John also given considering things to come? It's a book, yes. The book of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Was that things to come? Yeah, he's going to show you things to come, the second coming of Jesus. You know, no man knows the day or the hour. Jesus made that clear. No, but none of us knew exactly the moment the weather was going to change, much to Kim's delight, <laughs> from 75 and 80 degrees to 45 and 50 degrees. But we knew it was coming. And then when it, we saw the season change, you saw a tree start to turn. We felt wind, and it started to cool, and then the rain came a little bit. Ah, oh, fall's coming. You couldn't pick the moment. There is a moment of Jesus' return, but you don't know that. But Jesus says you'll know the times of the times and season. Paul says you're not ignorant, nor should you be. You're not in darkness. You're in the light. Thessalonians chapter 5. That day should not overtake you as though you had no idea you're in darkness. So we don't know the day or the hour. We know the times of seasons. But some people will say, and I understand why, I, really, I understand why they say this, because of people setting dates, and this event now absolutely means that in, within four more days, Jesus is coming. Even those of you who follow the blood moons and all that, sometimes people get so intense, they're saying, now this is going to happen right now, and you can't do that. You just can't. It's, it, it's, you have to take a step back and a deep breath. And so people will say, hey, there's always been troubled times through history. I, and I agree. I agree with this. I believe the Christians during the time of Adolf Hitler must have thought this is the Antichrist. Must have thought this is it. It all fit. He was persecuting the Jews. He was taking over, gobbling up Europe. He was wanting to take over the world. And he rose up out of Europe. There were a lot of reasons why it couldn't be and wouldn't be him, but if you're in that moment, you're reading, in, you're reading your moment into that moment. And we all have that tendency. Me too. So I take a step back from even myself. Not for too long, because I don't really like to look at myself. But <laughs> There's no mirrors in my house, can you tell? No, but anyway. <laughs> so, so, and in Second Peter, though, it tells us, chapter 3, that men are going to rise up in the last days, which started when Jesus came, and they're going to rise up and say, Oh, where's the promise of his coming? You guys have been talking since the fathers, the you know, back in the ancient times of the patriarchs and stuff. Since they felt, you've been talking, or since the first Christians as well, you've been talking about Jesus coming back forever. Man, nothing's changed. This is stupid. And the thing is, Peter says, well, they're willingly ignorant. Kind of willingly ignorant means like you see what you want to see, you hear what you want to hear. And are, have things continued exactly as they were? Without me going through chapter 3 right now, it talks about the flood and Noah as a clear picture of how things changed. And then it fast forwards to when Jesus comes, how rather than a flood of water, the heavens and earth will melt with a fervent heat. And the elements will melt. And for elements to melt, you need nuclear fission. And something has changed. Now, this is just on a human level, apart from even God just intervening, which I understand is the real issue. But even on a human level, in 1945, things changed. It's, we wouldn't be so worried about Iran if it was just that they had big bombs. But nuclear bombs has changed the world. But that's not all that's changed. See, the actual, uh, there's so much here. The actual focus point 
if worldwide awareness that's interconnected and birth pangs, you know, Jesus said, and you'll read it later, but we need to go there just for a minute. When a woman is having labor, and it's only by observation by me, but I've observed it well, <laughs> the contractions get more intense and more frequent. It's, you know, so there can be false labor and there can be slow labor. We walked the halls with Beth, with our daughter. We walked the halls of the hospital for hours because nothing was happening and her water broke. We had to go to the hospital. But then the contractions came and they were slow and then they got faster and then they got more intense and she got more wild-eyed laying in that bed. I'm going to go home now. (laughs) No, honey. No, I'm not going to do this. No. Another time. (laughs) No, there is no other time, dear. Then something about killing me or something, but you know. (laughs) You know the story. You know the story. This isn't, uh, if you're really young, you don't know it. Your mom will explain it to you someday. But my friends, when 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 a labor comes, it keeps coming until the baby's delivered. And Jesus said it's what it's going to be like, more frequent and more intense. I never see a news show where they say, well, things are continuing as they always have. It will happen because that's what he said. But right now, we're in such an interesting time where they don't know what to focus on. There's so many things happening so quickly. And, of course, they do sensationalized, sensationalized news coverage. They find whatever will grab attention and stay with it till they beat a dead horse, kind of. At the same time, there are a lot of things going on. And you don't hear people say, the world hasn't changed. Most people say, even secular, wow, the world has really changed, and it's changing so fast, we're not sure where this is going. So, now, we shouldn't be amazed that man's wisdom is in opposition to God. It, it amazes us that people can hide their eyes to the truth of Jesus Christ, to the Bible, but it shouldn't amaze us. It shouldn't amaze me that with videos that clearly show what's happening in, 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 in birthing and, and, and abortion. When chief justices uh, decide, decide marriage isn't really the marriage that we understand it, when ISIS and Iran and now Russia enter into the Middle East in such a way, uh, you know in Ezekiel 38 and 39, it talks clearly, starting in 36 and 37, about the regathering of the nation of Israel into their own land, not from Babylon, but a second time which is 1948. All the rest of it can all go up and down. You know, the constant is the nation of Israel. And by the way, and by the way, what's happening with Russia and Syria, I'm not saying that's Ezekiel 38 and 39, which says the uttermost, the nation to the uttermost north of Israel, and if you look to the uttermost north, it's Russia, will gather its allies against Israel and come to an unwalled land and do this and that. Well, they're not unwalled right now, and they're not necessarily me. I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you. There it's happening. Here's Ezekiel 38, 39. What I'm saying is it's, it's everything that the Bible says is going to happen, the kind of allies that are going to be set up, is all being set up. I will say that. I'm not ashamed to say that. Ezekiel 38 and 39 is prophecy that has not been fulfilled. There's no place to put it in the world other than where we see it right now. When the Soviet Union broke up, many Christians said, yeah, so what? They still got bombs, and they're still going to attack the Middle East. And that was years ago, long before Putin, because it fits Bible prophecy. Now, could I be wrong? Sure, I could be wrong about my interpretation, but that's what it says. 
The constant is Israel, the focal point of conflict, and Benjamin Netanyahu gets up. I don't know how many of you watched this uh, recording of it on YouTube. He got up at the UN. You need to understand this. This is not political. I'm not favoring Israel as a political entity. I'm saying God prophesied what would happen. He told us things to come. So I'm going to tell you that he says that um, uh, he stood up and said, you know, the silence of no condemnation of Iran ever in the UN over declaring, and even now a book came out by the Ayatollah, how we're going to destroy Israel within 25 years. They have spoken continuously for decades, we will destroy Israel. You would think the UN would say, we don't allow that kind of people in our midst, and we won't do any, right? In this, and, and, and they've not given one condemnation to Iran. They don't get up and stand up against Iran. That in Israel uh, and Syria, for four years, 250,000 people have been killed or more, and they've given one condemnation to Syria, you know, where they make a declaration of condemnation. In that same period of time, they've given 20 declarations of condemnation to Israel. Does that sound like all the world will be gathered against you? (laughs) Sounds like what Jesus said. It doesn't make any sense. And Netanyahu, when he's talked about uh, Iran, you know, he's kind of big on that. He says, the silence has been deafening. And he stopped for 45 seconds and just looked around the room. And unfortunately, the room was probably not nearly as full as if the Iran guy was speaking or Russia or Obama or somebody from America Sadly, there was a lot of empty spaces because they all just won't even listen to Israel. God is listening. He's not saying that Benjamin Netanyahu is, is, is the holy man. He, he invoked the fact that, Rush, that, that Babylon's gone, just like we talk about from because it's the Bible. But he, I don't know about his faith, but he said Babylon's gone and Rome's gone. Let me assure you, Israel will still be here. Because he understood that there's, he knows it's a miracle that his people exist. I don't know how much credit he gets. He hears from a lot of Christians. Be that as it may, all those things, is it not true that there's always been challenging times? Yes, it's true. Is it possible that Jesus won't return in my lifetime? Even some of you young people's lives, you bet it is. We just, we just, you can't say, I know for sure that I know for sure that I know for sure. I know he's coming. So I want to take you to one more verse that tells us what to do, and I'll just read it to you. In 1 Chronicles 12, make a note of it. These guys, when David is coming into the kingdom, and, he's, and Saul's on his way out, and David's on his way in, and David is the man after God's heart, the true king, the shepherd king, the king that represents Jesus Christ, the future king of kings. It says that the sons of Issachar in 1 Chronicles 12, 32 very famous verse to some people, who had understanding, they're a tribe in Israel, they had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. They had understanding of the times, and they knew what they should do. They had understanding of the times they lived in, and they knew what they should do. You know, every generation has a call and a time to fulfill for God. David, it says in Acts 13, after he served his generation... He went with his fathers. He died. 
Psalm 145 by a psalmist could be David. I didn't check that out. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty works. We have a calling to declare the works of God to the generation that follows us. And that means everyone, wherever you are, if you receive the call of God, you receive the call of God to the generation you serve and to the next generation. And that is a calling on our lives. And if we have wisdom and understanding, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes tells us that wisdom increases strength. And wisdom does more than ten to defend a city than ten mighty men. And that's a small city there with ten super strong warrior guys. No, the Green Beret, the Rangers, the whoever you want to throw in there, the SEALs, wisdom is better than having ten of those guys who were, were supportive of those guys. But the point is, is that the wisdom of God, and wisdom is better than weapons of war. I am not here, I would not tell people not to defend themselves against attacks from enemies. I would not tell people don't get guns and know how to use a gun if you feel like you're supposed to. We live in a country that allows us a lot of things to do as we see these recent events and stuff. But let me just, let me just qualify everything in this tone. Whatever time and energy you spend seeking to protect yourself and defend yourself and make sure you're okay physically, whatever you do, how much time in comparison are you spending in prayer? To the King of kings and Lord of lords who rules the universe, whose, whose name is a strong tower and a refuge, the, run, the righteous run to it and are strengthened and are saved. I mean, because people will spend a lot of time and a lot of energy, and a lot of mental energy, worrying, angry, trying to figure stuff out, and make stuff happen, and make sure they got all their bases covered. And I am not here, I'm not, God hasn't given me the wisdom to say, here's the ultimate plan on how you do all the details of your life. It's not my job to tell people what to do. It is my job, and it is your job to focus our attention above everything else and you look at your own life and the balances of how much energy and time. It amazes me the time that people have for everything they have. Because it's important to them. Getting away for the weekend? The boat? <laughs> Schooling, night school. I'm not against any of that. I'm not here to control that for anybody. Just compare the energy that you spend or people try to get you to spend versus the energy that you spend on eternal things. I'm not saying that's one or the other. The eternal things work into the daily and the wisdom of daily life. So you can't just drop everything and go run to the mountain to pray forever. That's what monks kind of do, and we're not called to that. There's a role for there's a certain kind of role for that, but folks, do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not making rules for you. They're going to be passed out to you at the door. <laughs> what you can and can't do. It, it, that's not my job to control you. But I beg you, don't let, don't let things that are, aside from focusing on Jesus Christ, became, become the main focus of your life. Because those things will lead you into consternation, frustration, and will destroy your witness to other people. And that's your most important reason for being here. And if you've got 20 years to live on this earth, then that's the 20 years. That's, and if you have 70 or 80 or 90, whatever you got, I'm closer to my leaving than I am to my existence on earth. 
and I want every day to count. I, I'm not saying I have that down, do you? But I know this in Hebrews 11, it tells us that the saints of Hebrews 11, some of them won great victories. They were the seals. They overcame. They won, vanquished the nation and Samson for a while. And, you know, David and those. But then there's other ones. A lot of the prophets, they suffered and died, not receiving deliverance because they were so faithful to the end that God had given them. And the world wasn't worthy of them. And it's really interesting because right after Hebrews 11 comes Hebrews 12. It always has. It always does. It always will, unless somebody tries to tinker with the Bible. Not a good idea. <laughs> Hebrews 12 starts out, it's in your front of your bulletin. Therefore also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. So, you know, when you talk about word of wisdom, knowledge, prophecy, I feel like I got one for me this morning when I looked at the verse after I'd already had it put in the bulletin and already studied because what I didn't notice is what I'm going to say to you till this morning. Hebrews 12 comes after Hebrews 11. So the very next thing after talking about the heroes of faith, he says, since we're surrounded by all these people who've done these great things, and we have living people and recent people as well, maybe some in Oregon who stood up for Jesus even knowing they'd be shot, maybe many throughout in the, in the world who are being persecuted right now, who, God, we pray your blessing on them. We're surrounded by those past witnesses and by present witnesses, and it says, here's what we're to do. Arm yourself, protect yourself, con control the world around you, and make sure you have control. Uh, let me read it again. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Wow, that sounds much more personal about my walk with God. And let us run with endurance the race that's before us. Thank you for your patience. You have to. Because you could just, they had to leave, by the way. I'm not <laughs> you got to hear this. Because a friend of mine told the story, and we'll be done. When he was in junior high, he was on the track team. And in California, the junior highs that he was in had three and 4,000 kids. Imagine that in a junior high. And in this junior high, he was on the track team, and there was this kid. He was tall. He ended up playing basketball in college. But he had a kid on his track team, a little kind of chunky guy that didn't, wasn't made for track, but he desperately wanted to do track. And the coach, nobody ever asked him, this guy never asked him, why are you torturing yourself? But he ran track. He ran the mile. Carl was his name, I believe. And so he was an enigma because he didn't belong on the team very well, it seemed. And he never, here's what happened, every single race. A mile is four times around the track, a quarter-mile track. By the end of the second lap, or in the middle of the third, his starting the third, his, he's in the third lap going around. The guys are already, they're passing him. They're loop-lapping him. Because they're, so the race finishes completely of everybody else, and there's a winner and a second place and all that, and, and Carl's just running up the, behind them. Hasn't done his fourth lap yet. The kids are laughing. You know, junior high kids, some of them are not like this. Not every junior high kid has fangs coming out to spew out violent, uh, sarcastic evil. Uh, but you guys who are in junior high and you guys who've been in junior high know what it can be like. It can be the most ruthless group of people in how they mock each other. So everybody from both schools is, and they had a large crowd here in California for these track meets. 
and they are making fun and laughing at Carl. And it happened at every single meet. As, they went, as he went around that first loop for his last lap, they're mocking him. And, but suddenly, as he went around the second curve, as he's going around there, it just kind of died down, got completely silent. Mostly because people were stunned that he did this, that he ran. And Carl would run, and as he continued, it went from mocking to silence to a small roar, a rumble of, Carl, go Carl, go Carl, around the third loops. And by the time he got to the fourth loop, they were screaming his name, Carl, 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 go Carl, go Carl. And Carl lumbering, sweating like a pig, you know, it was like a little Rick Cohen there, you know, just dark. He also had black rimmed glasses, you know, when they weren't cool, like mine are. And uh, he's, 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 he's lumbering and lumbering. And Carl, 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 and then he crosses the finish line, and whatever people had in their hands, their programs, their popcorn, their Cokes, they threw it in the air. There was this huge celebration. They weren't making fun of him. They were amazed. The whole crowd got into celebrating Carl. He finished the race. He finished the race. And my friend says two things. When you left that stadium, everybody in the stadium, as they're leaving, it was the last race of the day, the mile, Nobody remembered who, or talked about, excuse me, who won the mile race. Everyone was talking about Carl. About Carl. And he says, you know what? I raced on that team with guys for two years. I don't remember anybody's name on the track team except one. Carl. Carl. Finish the race. Finish it strong. If you're young, get in shape spiritually. If you're older, stay with the program. (laughs) Finish the race. Don't be dissuaded. And if you're running it alone, heaven is cheering you on. Let's stand.